Hey, business owners, need help taking payments online? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through payment accepting, customer connecting, real-time reporting, round-the-clock supporting, fraud detecting or business protecting. <gasps> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To get started, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. Young people in business, especially Silicon Valley and related businesses, are getting too much too soon. Can't quite handle it. We saw a lot of these sort of like these very ambitious, very successful, very wealthy uh, tech entrepreneurs, life sciences entrepreneurs come up at a time when money was effectively cheap. It was free, in fact, which meant that money poured into all kinds of bad ideas. You can say, I'm going to be larger than I really am. I'm going to put my imposter syndrome aside and I'm going to do the, do the faking part. But when you scale that up to the size of a company, especially a successful one that may be taking in millions or billions of investor dollars, uh, and then you start selling a product on the basis of faking, then it's something else. I think people's profiles are raised or their credibility develops through repetition, right? So you might make that list, but if nobody hears from you again, you're not going to be remembered as somebody who was on Forbes 30 under 30. But if you keep getting picked up, mainstream media, then suddenly you're, you're a real thing. You're credible. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square helps you look after your business needs from payments to online ordering and menu management. Visit square.com for more. Now, you've heard of the curse of hello, but what about the curse of the Forbes 30 under 30? From Elizabeth Holmes to Sam Bankman-Fried, getting name-checked as the next big thing in tech could ironically turn out to be a shortcut to notoriety, prosecution, maybe even jail. John Isle, Deputy Business Editor of the Irish Independent, I've mentioned some of these names. In the tech business world, these are almost household names now, but for the wrong reasons. And they're all Forbes 30 under 30 alumni. What's going on? (laughs) Well, I think there's there's a few things that are happening in the culture, in the world of technology, and in the world of markets that maybe makes it a little more likely that a very fast up and comer is going to be someone who gets in trouble down the line. We've seen a lot of scandals in, say, the finance world, right? That's been that's been the the venue for scandals going back to the 80s where you had Michael Milken, the junk bond king, and then you had the crash in 2008, which was really down to a lot of uh, bankers who were, you know, trying to essentially uh, scam the public around mortgages, mortgages and mortgage securities. And now we have a much more tech-dominated economy. So it's natural that the scandals that emerge are going to come from that area. But the question of why sort of young people in particular, maybe, as they mature or move on in their career, are becoming uh, the, the center uh, uh, of these issues. My theory is that, one, young people are maybe getting too much too soon. That's the cultural bit. 
young people in business, especially Silicon Valley and related businesses are getting too much too soon, can't quite handle it. But then there's also something happening, I think, in the culture, which is a, especially American culture, where there's a kind of a scam economy has developed. And, you know, the election of Donald Trump is maybe the apotheosis of that sort of scam economy, that people who are selling the image rather than the substance are getting very, very far before they're found out. And they become sort of hero figures as well. You know, some of the names you mentioned, like Sam Bankman-Fried, for instance, was was a huge figure in the crypto world. And uh, quite respected as well, actually. And quite respected, seen as the legitimate end, mm. in fact, and had courted a lot of influential journalists and people in think tanks and even had inroads into politics and was being taken seriously, especially by the Democratic Party. His ideas of effective altruism really penetrated the party pl platform in the last election. Um, but then there's an aspect of the markets that I think we can't ignore. And this is where there's a through line, I think, from the financial world to the tech world. We saw a lot of these sort of like these very ambitious, very successful, uh, very wealthy uh, tech entrepreneurs, life sciences entrepreneurs come up at a time when money was effectively cheap. It was free, in fact. You had rates at zero. So the price of risk was nothing, which meant that money poured into all kinds of bad ideas. So if you have interest rates at 5%, for instance, the people who are deploying capital are going to say, well, I need to get at least that 5% return and then a margin. And to do that, I want to be really sure that this thing works. But when the cost of the money is zero, you can take a lot of speculative bets, which means money is going to flow to ideas that aren't going to work out, or it's going to flow to scam artists as well. And so I think those things coming together, a kind of cultural acceptance of fake it till you make it, along with the tech world that's trying crazy things and enabled by essentially free money, those things converging, I think, probably increase the likelihood that you're going to see people, you know, taking advantage of that situation, promoting products that don't really work, um, taking people's money on false pretenses and enriching themselves as a result. We come back to the fake it till you make it theme in a minute, but just to flesh out a little bit of more on who we're talking about here. So you mentioned Sam Bankman-Fried. We said he was actually quite a, a respected figure. He now faces possible sentences of decades in prison, uh, eight counts of fraud and conspiracy for allegedly stealing billions in FTX customer funds to plug losses at his hedge fund, Alameda Research. Caroline Allison, his colleague uh, at FTX, um, pleaded guilty to seven criminal charges already, maximum sentence of over, of over 100 years, uh, potentially. Um, Martin Shkreli, the pharma tech bro, he was name checked, I think, in 20. Uh, 16 or 2017 in Forbes, uh, 30 under 30. A federal jury found him guilty on two counts of securities fraud. By the way, he was famous at the time for hiking the pill, uh, the price of a, a, an antiparasitic uh, medication commonly used by AIDS patients from $13 to $750. Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos is arguably the biggest. She technically never made the 30 under 30, but she was on the Forbes cover when she was 30. Uh, everybody uh, by now knows about her failed blood testing uh, start of Theranos. Billy McFarland, Fire Media, the Fire Festival. He was a Forbes uh, 30 under 30 uh, alumni, pleaded guilty to multiple counts of fraud. Um, the list goes on and on and on. But just to come back to this fake it, before you make it idea. I mean, in a way, is that not a legitimate tactic for 
uh, tech entrepreneurs in particular, hasn't that been ingrained as part of the playbook? There, there is some space for fake it uh, as you make it. I mean, exaggerating, sometimes even making things up it becomes sort of part of the acceptable terms of engagement in startups. Indeed. And I think in a lot of professions, our, our own included. I mean, I remember as a young journalist, well, how did I learn how to do it? I imitated other journalists. That's what I did. And then eventually you learn the skills and you see where you're failing, now, et cetera. On. You're not saying you faked it, right? I'm not saying I faked it. I'm saying you sort of imitate the form, let's say, of what a successful journalist looks like. How does that person behave? What are their, what are their practices, right? Yes, but now hold just... To be totally clear, what we're talking about is entrepreneurs who made stuff up. I mean, in the mm. case, for example, of uh, Charlie Javis, her startup was called Frank. She described it as the Amazon for higher education. Um, she claimed it, it, a big success story. She managed to sell it to JP uh, Morgan Chase for $175 million in 2021, claiming she had 5 million uh, student customers. In fact, there were only 300,000. She had brought a, a data scientist in uh, to to inflate the numbers that my favorite one is a guy called Trevor Milton, a Forbes 13 or 30 founder of the hydrogen powered truck company called Nikola. Okay. Um, he made a demo video showing apparently this truck going along, but actually what he had done is he had put it on a hill and he had tilted the angle to make it look like the truck was actually being powered. That's great. I uh, what I like about that is it's a scam that could have been done in 1920. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And also there is a separate question here about the due diligence of companies mm -hmm. and investors indeed mm -hmm. who invest their money because sometimes sure. this money is coming from hedge funds and your pension fund. And mm -hmm. I would expect my uh, fund managers to be a little bit more judicious. But just coming back to this idea of um, you know exaggeration and faking until you make it, I can think off the top of my head of a number of Irish tech entrepreneurs who have boasted about the faking till you make it. And they sort of have made it. Mm. Well, I think the, the distinction I would make there is there is between the individual and the institution, right? So as a personality trait, you can say, I'm going to be larger than I really am. I'm going to kind of occupy this space. I'm going to put my imposter syndrome aside and I'm going to do the do the faking part, right? On an individual basis, that's more or less harmless. But when you scale that up to the size of a company, especially a successful one that may be taking in millions or billions of investor dollars, uh, and then you start selling a product on the basis of faking, right? Oh, we're just going to fake these blood tests until we figure out how to do them correctly. Then it's something else. I mean, then you're just into fraud, right? So like interpersonal marketing is a bit of a different story to you know, filling out your SEC form saying, this is what our product is and this is what we're promising our investors. Now, maybe that distinction gets more and more blurry as companies are increasingly identified with a sort of charismatic figurehead, you know? And, we, and we've seen that say, I mean, we can all blame Steve Jobs for that, right? He, he's the sort of the or figurehead of, you know, figureheads and the, and the guy who by sheer force of will made Apple what it is, right? Or so the story goes. Um, Warren Buffett's another example there. And then you have, you know, truly successful young guys like, you know, our, our Stripe, our Stripe mm -hmm. guys, the Collison brothers, the guys who did Google, like these are guys who, who, who've done like serious things, real products, real development, uh, you know, a path, a path forward. And as far as I can tell, have been honest with their investors. Yeah, they let their, their products customers. and services do the talking. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then like real people are buying real things and getting an actual product or service. There's something under the hood, you mm -hmm. know? With other things like t uh, sort of the sort of tech that uh, Theranos was was doing is something that's 
difficult for non-experts to understand. Mm. So there's space for faking there. The same thing with cryptocurrency. You know, it's very sort of esoteric, abstract uh, type of, um, I, I wouldn't even call it a product exactly. You know, it's a sort of this medium of exchange that's out there in the sort of dark spaces of the web. So you can see where there's the attraction of maybe gullible people as, as well as, you know, the sort of shrewder types who are in a position then to take advantage of, of the rubes, right? Which is a part of internet culture anyway, I think, mm. you know, it's just being kind of the, let's say the culture of the inter internet is feeding back into the companies that are creating or doing things on the internet. Uh, and maybe that feedback isn't exactly the healthiest. Well, if you look at some of the titans of tech industry now, there is this middle ground occupied by people like Elon Musk. Now, he would typify both traditions. So he has actually built stuff. He has a successful car company in Tesla. You can argue how it became successful, trading carbon credits, all of that stuff. At the end of the day, it is actually a successful company. You could say the same for SpaceX uh, as well. Then you look at companies uh, that he's touting, like Neuralink, for example, which is a brain interface uh, that he says will be um, will become functional this year or next year. You can look at some of the models of Tesla that he has promised, uh, the space, uh, the, the Cybertruck, um, the Roadster, vehicles and products which either don't emerge at all or take years and years and years. And there's a real fine line there between utter spoofery mm. and just ambitious, forward-looking statements. I'm glad, you brought, I'm glad you brought up Elon Musk because... As you say, he's making real products, he's selling them to real people, et cetera, but he is an overpromiser, right? And then he also sort of, um, he kind of rushes things out before they're ready. He takes that sort of iterative tech idea, but applies it to sort of material things. It's one thing if your software doesn't quite work and you can get an update the next day or the next week. It's another thing if your rocket launch pad you know, isn't sufficient for you know, the, the booster that you're launching mm -hmm. that day and you blow the thing up, which is what happened uh, recently with the the SpaceX launch, which I think the Federal Aviation Authority has now put a moratorium on on future flights until they've complete an investigation on that. So like there's so Elon Musk, I think at least is he's operating in regulated markets where someone is overseeing it and saying, hang on, you cut corners there. We're gonna we're gonna press pause. Okay. Um cryptocurrency obviously is the total opposite of that, completely unregulated kind of cowboy country. Now, central banks are beginning to get, well, yeah, beginning they, to get a grip on that. They would say that they, yeah. they, they have, <laughs> and the new micro-regulations and, and, and European regulations, and uh, they would say that there is a certain amount of regulation there. Yeah, it, and that's that's coming. But in, let's say, the heyday of Bankman-Fried, I mean, this, th this market has moved so fast that three years ago, I mean, central banks barely had a, had a grip on cryptocurrencies at all. You know, the standard reg regulation just wasn't there for it. And it was a kind of emergent technology, let's say, mm -hmm. that was self-regulated. And that was the appeal of it. Um, so there's always a danger there. But I, I don't want to pretend that regulators solved these problems either, as we saw in the banking crisis. And there was a real capture of regulators all over the world. And the banks were running the show. And we saw what happened as a result. So, uh, But I do think what has happened uh, as a result of all of these things is that there's a higher tolerance within the culture among all of us, right? Not just people in Silicon Valley for this kind of, you know, it's not quite there yet, but we'll accept that it's something kind of culture. There's a good side to that in that it spurs innovation, but the the, the bad side to it is like, this doesn't actually work as, as promised, mm -hmm. right? And what happens in the case of bad actors, they look at a market like that and they see an opportunity. Okay. There's a certain amount of um, 
falling short that is accepted, I'm going to, I'm going to take that and I'm going to ride it to riches. I'm going to go all the way and I'm just never going to deliver. I'm just going to, but I'm going to keep taking people's money. Mm. Yeah. I, and there's always a temptation to have at the world's smallest violin as well for <laughs> giant funds that, in, that invest, that, that buy a startup for 175 mm. million and haven't done uh, their due diligence. Um, the whole idea though, of tempting fate by being on the Forbes 30 under mm. 30 list. Are, are you a superstitious man? Do you believe in that and tempting fate? No, I'm only <laughs> I'm only superstitious when uh, when I'm say consuming a novel or watching a film or something like that, and, and it helps to you know it helps the enjoyment. But in my normal rational life, like I don't buy superstition at all. So really? I get like I get that it's like amusing. Oh, it's like the curse of being on yeah. the 30 under 30, and like surely some percentage of these guys are going to go on and fall in their faces and so forth. But I think that's probably just a statistical likelihood rather than some kind of a hex. Do you know what? It's really interesting. <laughs> You're undoubtedly correct scientifically. And yet I do fall a little bit prey to that uh, superstitious. I, I don't know why. I used to put it down maybe to the butterfly effect. You know, the butterfly mm. effect where a butterfly flaps uh, its wings yeah. and somewhere on the other side of the world, a volcano erupts because of it, because of the yeah. chain effect. There is a scientific yeah. Uh, a reason for that. But then I thought, no, that's ridiculous because there's no way that me going out to get a cup of tea now will affect Liverpool's chances of scoring a goal or not. That's, that's, no. On the other hand, um, too many hours watching YouTube and quantum uh, theory and quantum mechanics has now started to convince me that there may be a multiverse thing uh, going on. Right, so okay. the, the, the newfangled ridiculous excuse I have for being superstitious is that, and maybe it applies to this Forbes and 13 to 30 list, is that if, if you do something, it's not that it's a butterfly effect, but that you set off another train of events in another multiverse so mm. that everything we are doing here right now um, could be different and, and could potentially be different. And that maybe if you're named on the Forbes mm. 30 under 30, <laughs> that in an infinite number of outcomes, yeah, yeah. you now make more likely the um, the outcome that you're going to be uh, you know, fall prone to fraudulent tendencies. That you've made the universe vibrate in a slightly different way. Yes. I mean, I think maybe a simpler explanation is that being on the cover of a, a widely read magazine exposes you to more scrutiny mm. and you're more likely to be discovered in your fraud. I mean, mm. I don't really believe that all frauds get discovered, you know? Mm. Um, so possibly like becoming well-known, uh, you know, aids in the discovery process. Uh, we can clap ourselves on the back as the media, you know, as the, mm. uh, <laughs> the more, the, you Have know, the sort of more famous you become. Any instances of, of frauds, I'm conscious that we are a, a podcast that is regulated by legal and defamatory <laughs> um, considerations. But I, I've, I'm aware in my lifetime in journalism of things that I couldn't prove. Mm. And I'm pretty sure to have been either fraudulent or semi-fraudulent even one or two things that mm. I believe are, are are still ongoing. Has that ever occurred to you? Oh, completely. Yeah. So I have, I mean, how I carry around a lot of those hunches, mm. right? And you might do work sort of around the edges of them and you can never quite land it. And you're desperate to tell somebody, mm. <laughs> you know, oh, no, no, this thing is completely made up. Mm. Actually, don't, you know, don't buy that or don't, you know, take that service or this guy is going to get his comeuppance for sure. So... Yeah. So I don't know if that's superstition or is that instinct, right? So instinct, I think another way of describing instinct is, uh, you know, kind of finely developed uh, sense of, exp of experience, right? Mm. So you've seen things over and over again, you begin to detect patterns, right? And that's how superstition works as well. But it can steer you wrong, right? Just mm. as easily as it can steer you right. Um, 
Yeah. You know, what people say a gut is, is your sort of subconscious seeing a, f a familiar pattern again and saying, watch out here. You know, we're primed, obviously, evolutionarily to sense danger mm. and stay away from it. Yeah, um, I mean, there, there's a there's a religious, semi-religious element to all of this as well. <laughs> you, you're either a believer or you're not. And and if you are, you're probably a little bit more prone uh, to, to that kind of thing. I still probably am slightly more in the believer than non-believer, just mm. slightly, mm. Um, despite all of the... Uh, the Brian Cox videos that, that I've watched. Um, just going back to the list in general, the Forbes 30 under yeah. 30 list. In assessing lists like this, do we still regard them as being prestigious? I sort of think we do. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a reason they keep doing them, right? Mm. And, and I mean, you're kind of, you're packaging and bracketing off a group, right? It's arbitrary to some degree. Like. Well, just on that, why do you think we still do them? So take take Forbes. So Forbes as a media company mm. is not what it was. Now, a lot of community no. companies aren't what they were. It, you know, I don't even know if it still does a magazine. So the Forbes 30 under 30 list is really a kind of a commercial marketing thing mm. uh, that it puts out. So I wonder the value of that list. Is it just a really niche bubble uh, tech business industry uh, uh, thing within itself, completely divorced from the interests of readers or subscribers or consumers online? I, I kind of suspect it is. Mm. I'm not sure how much stock the general public puts in those things. You know, I, I think people's profiles are raised or their credibility develops through repetition, mm. right? So you might make that list, but if nobody hears from you again, mm. you're not going to be remembered as somebody who was on Forbes 30 under 30. But if you keep getting picked up mainstream media, you're on They'll CNBC, mm. et cetera, then suddenly you're, you're a real thing. You're credible, et cetera. And look, I should say that you know, we as a media institution, we do our own 30. That's right. 30, we do rich uh, lists and yeah. we do all of that stuff. And, and so to be fair, I'll say they're actually quite popular. And people like to read them because, yeah. you know, people like to read about people and people are fascinated by money. And people like you. So we did uh, an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago um, with the new CEO of Patch, Jack Regan Kenny. And he, uh, that that podcast did very well mm. um, because people want to know Who's coming up through yeah. the ranks? Who's yeah? Who's the who's the next young star? Of course, yeah. and I mean you know again this is a cultural thing, but our you know our culture really uh, probably overvalues youth, right? And so I mean you see this in the arts as well. Like they do this grant, uh, you know the the literary mm. publication does I think thirty under thirty. I think it does mm. a forty under forty. Although a publisher in the UK has just launched a, a prize for over fifties first novels from from over fifties. Uh, because tempted, John. <laughs> yeah, very tempted. Yeah, very tempted in a few years. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a consciousness, I think, out there that maybe we do overvalue youth and uh, we should look to experience a little bit more occasionally. Well, I mean, I'll just take you up a little bit on mm. that. I mean, certainly in the in some of the arts, I can see why they do mm. musically. OK, if you it, it, I, it, I'm going to make a real generalism here, but I would say I would posit that the vast majority of most musicians, interesting work happens certainly before they're 30 and mm. maybe even before they're 25. The, the, you know, after 35, certainly after 40, the number of musicians who actually produce interesting hit work mm. is pretty small, you know? Yeah. Are we talking popular music or all kinds of music? All, you know, all classical. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, right? There's Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen, you know, who kept, you know, were creatively yeah, very Yeah, even productive. though Leonard Cohen's later stuff, it's basically him and a uh, two-note Casio keyboard. But okay, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll allow it. 
um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to know, you know, it's a chicken and egg problem, isn't it? Is it that, you well, know, we're talking about the egg here and it, it becomes a chicken, but the chicken <laughs> has more energy than the hen, right? Yeah. That's and I know the they, they say this about mathematicians too, right? Everybody who wins the big prizes in, in, in mathematics, you know, chess masters, et cetera, you do age out. And I think your brain probably becomes less mm. nimble, you know, um, a couple of middle-aged guys like us were probably not as sharp as we were 15 years ago, no. Adrian, you know? Um, and I think it's just less blood pumping in our brains probably. Uh, on the other hand, you know, you sort of gain, you gain other valuable tools as you go along. Um, but no, it's true. Nobody really, I mean, with, with the obvious exceptions like Warren Buffett, who mm. we mentioned earlier, nobody's really looking up to the old guys, you know, you well, kinda, nobody cares about a 40 over 40. No, you kind of, you kind of crest that hill and people say, okay, you've kind of done what you're going to do. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. Um, and that's, that's where partly the fascination comes from, but, but like, you know, to just go, go to say sport again, where mm. everybody's very excited about who's young and up and coming. For every group of potential great players, really one, two, three of them, you know, every group of 20, one, two or three is really going to make it. And there are, you know, the lower leagues are scattered with people who are promising young talents at 17, 18, 19 and never put all, put it all together. And whether that's because they lacked a work ethic, whether because they peaked too early, uh, whether because they, they never got, they never really had the brain to succeed, they might have had the physical tools or vice versa. They had the brain for it, but they lacked the physical tools. So having the complete package that's going to last, right, that somebody like Steve Jobs had, that somebody like Bill Gates had, uh, to see it and sustain it for a very long time, I think is exceptionally rare. So like, you know, I don't, okay, the frauds I blame, but the people who sort of get on a list like that and then disappear and never really do anything else again, okay. They've still done a lot more in their life probably I, than I have. Just before wrapping up, I should also point out that the Forbes lists, there are literally hundreds of them. It's that they have different <laughs> yeah, yeah, niches yeah. and divisions. Like we've picked out some of the most notorious six or seven yeah. uh, individuals. It's probably actually quite a low percentage rate. Mm. Um, nevertheless, there is still, <laughs> we were going to maintain a curse of the Forbes 30 under 30. Uh, John Isle, Deputy Business Editor of the Irish Independent. Thanks very much for joining us today. And thanks also to Tabitha Monaghan, who produced a Gavin. Hennessy on sound and Conan Doherty on video. You've been listening to and watching The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. We'll talk to you at the same time next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank and Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts.